Welcome to the Selling from the Heart podcast, your home for authentic, effective, and socially integrated sales strategies to help you master the art of selling. Join your co-hosts, Larry Levine and Daryl Amy, along with some of the world's best sales thought leaders and practitioners as we explore ways to help you grow your sales. And welcome back to the Selling from the Heart podcast. Your co-host, Daryl Amy, here today with Larry Levine. What's going on, Larry? I'm jet lagged. I survived. I survived the Mediterranean, but it was, it was oh, awesome. Oh, okay. Actually, so, so normally we get to hear complaining about the weather in California. <laughs> now you've survived the Mediterranean. I'm so proud of you, Larry. You are oh. such, you're such a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I know slumming it in the villa in, in Greece and... Uh, I even heard that you had to walk like five miles uphill both ways in the snow to get a picture with Mike Weinberg's t-shirt. Like you really had a rough time, dude. Yeah. Well, it, it was funny. So I'm at my Kiwanis meeting this morning and most of them follow me on Instagram. So they said, did you actually work while you were there? Cause we saw like <laughs> four work pictures and the rest of them were all like, you were R and Ring it. And I go, well, you, you have to understand the client that I worked with didn't really want pictures up on social. So I had to respect them. Otherwise, you know, I would have, but, but I survived. I got home at three o'clock in the morning. It took me 25 hours to get home from Athens, Greece to Los Angeles. Well, Hey, after you know about exciting. three days. I, I'm glad you got to go over there and I'm glad uh, that Selling from the Heart is resonating literally around the world. And if you're new to the podcast, by the way, welcome. You've joined a growing community of sales professionals that are dedicated to being genuine, being authentic, delivering real value, doing the hard work. We call it Selling from the Heart. And just a quick shout out to our sponsor today. Thank you so much to uh, send out cards. I love the way that we're able to reach out and touch people um, and, and do that in such a... Um, it's, it's powerful, Larry. And I love seeing the response of folks when they get a card and the smile on the other side of it. And the, the positive reaction is just, it's fantastic. You know, you know, what's even cool about that is I send my wife send out cards. <laughs> so, I, so over the weekend, I go, does she, you know does she think that you wrote them? Is that, <laughs> does she not know your handwriting after a hundred years? Stop it. I think but it was, it was so funny. Was, I'm, okay, I'll admit before we introduce Mike, but I'm sitting <laughs> in a lounge chair on Saturday and I'm capturing all these pictures and I send my wife a card and I go, you know, she's going to get it, you know, after I come back and then I'm leaving again tomorrow. She goes, she's going to get it and I'm, she's going to go, okay, so that's what I got from your trip to Greece. A send out card with some pictures. Oh, you're so generous, Larry. Now, it's the axiom of business travel. The nicer the place you go, the worse the problems at home. Thank you to our sponsors. You can check out at (laughs) cards.sellingfromtheheart.net. But we have got a great, uh, great guest today. We're about to get some sales truth bombs dropped on us. So I don't think this guy needs much introduction. But Larry, why don't you uh, give a stab Uh, at introducing our friend, Mike? No, I will. Um, there's not enough words that describe how I feel about Mike Weinberg. I mean, he just means a lot to me, but don't uh, make me cry before. No, we come on, come Wein- on Larry. <laughs> By the end of this, you're going to be busting my butt anyway. So I'm already emotional with the book out and all the stuff like just, just, just let's go, man. You don't yeah, need to say nice go, things about so. me. Huh? All, all right. right so so everybody knows Mike show. Weinberg. So stop it. Here's Mike Weinberg. Welcome to selling from the heart. How's that? Is that cool? <laughs> <laughs> what I can't believe is that you've gotten so big that now you have clients overseas that they don't, you know, you made it when your clients want you to be confidential and not let people know that you're working with them. Right. So <laughs> congrats to you and 
all the Greek olives you ate, and it was fun seeing your pictures. And oh, dude, I'm telling you, Greek. I had Greek olives for breakfast. They're actually really good. I believe it, man. That's, that's legit, right there, right? That is totally legit. Speaking of legit, we got sales truth. This is going to be fun, but you know the question that everyone has to ask it that gets to answer at the beginning of the podcast. And I think I can't wait to hear what you have to say to this question, Mike. What does it mean to you to sell from the heart? Wow. It means that you put your all in, it means two things. One is you put your all into everything. And you know, people say, say it's just sales. It's not personal. What a crock. And, and part of the reason I love Larry and the book and the podcast and everything that is selling from the heart is because when you get Larry, you get Larry. I've been saying this for years. He's the most honest guy in this business and the most authentic. So, so part of selling from the heart is you, you put your, your everything in. And the second part I think has to do with your integrity and, and your motivation for selling. And my dad taught me this and I talk about this in one of the chapters of sales truth. He told me when I moved into sales, he said, he said, your number one goal in sales is to make the customer as successful as possible. And if your motivation to sell is to help the customer win, Mm. then you will always win in sales. And that's when you know your heart's in it because yeah, you're motivated to make a sale and yes, you're going to make money. But if what you really want is to improve the condition, right, of the client and give them a great outcome, that there's nothing more authentic and from the heart than that. And, and, and prospects can smell that on salespeople, right? So that's, that's my answer for selling from the heart. Well, you know, it, it, it's really interesting because um, you're right. People can smell it because I always tell people this. I said, listen, you know, people can smell sincerity, but they can smell insincerity just as quick. And, and what I find fascinating is I always like asking, you know, when I'm working with sales teams and even when I'm talking to my buddies, you know, what's it mean to sell from the heart? And you get all kinds of various responses, right? But then I'll, you know, I always come back with this, Mike, is what prevents people from selling from the heart? And, and I think that's the things that I really want to key in on it because I think people are throwing around the words heart, value, authenticity, genuine, sincerity. You know, we can run the gamut on it and they just, it just rolls off their mouth. And I wonder how many of them really internalize what that means or they just say it because... Yeah, that's, that's a big one. You know, are they, are they, are they acting? Are they playing the role trying to be authentic? And I don't, I don't think that's possible, right? Like, can you be authentic when you're trying to be authentic? That does like an oxymoron, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know, Larry, it's a, it's a great question, but I, I, I know this, I know that buyers resist salespeople because a lot of salespeople have been inauthentic and man, manipulative and mm-hmm. self-absorbed and waste a lot of time of prospects. So I get why there's this automatic, you know, reflex resistance and this defensiveness, um, almost a cynical posture that a lot of corporate buyers take, right? Because there's a lot of salespeople that are, their motivation's not pure and um, they're not selling from a clean heart perspective. Well, you know, it's, it's, I'll tell you a quick story and, but uh, cause this just happened yesterday and Daryl saw the video I did on it, but uh Hey, it's, it's your show. It's your show. It doesn't even have to be a quick story. No, it's all, it's all good. <laughs> but I went, when I went to Starbucks yesterday, I was just the coffee in the house just wasn't cutting and I needed some, you know, I, I missed my grande Americano. I'll admit it. So I go to my local Starbucks and, you know, I go to that Starbucks only because I know everybody. It's the neighborhood Starbucks. I love when I walk in and they know my name and it's like, cheers. Right. And so the barista goes, Hey, Larry, here's your grande Americano in front of like five other people. So that I got looks right away. 
because they pushed my order up. She goes, where you been? I haven't seen you for a while. And I said, I was in Greece. Oh, you know, so all of a sudden, what are you doing over there? And I said, I was talking about my book with a sales team. She goes, you wrote a book. I didn't know that. Why didn't you tell me? And so I told her the name of it. She goes, you know, selling from the heart. She goes, tell me what that's about. And I said, well, it, you know, it's just real simple. I just talk about authenticity and being real and being genuine and what that really means to be a sales professional. And then, you know, obviously the last half of the book's all about the sales skills. And she stopped me dead in my tracks, Weinberg. And she goes, you mean being genuine as a salesperson? I find that hard to believe. And then a couple other baristas go, you know what? How can you be genuine as a salesperson? Because this is my persona of what a salesperson is. And I go, isn't that interesting? Here we are baristas at Starbucks and they're talking about not being genuine, inauthenticity in sales and the stigma they have with salespeople. It makes me sad. I mean, uh, when I hear that, right, Daryl, you too, right? I mean, that's, that hurts me. Yeah. And, and I understand it, but man, we got a lot of work to do. Right. And that's why we, and that's why when we, when we think about how we approach prospects and anytime we're in, involved, whether for early stages through late stages of the sales process, we have to be sensitive to potentially being perceived that way. And that's why our attitude and the words we choose and how we sell and the percent of time we talk versus listen and uh, how we structure our messaging all really matters. And, uh, it's, it's just a sad commentary that that's the first thing people think about as the stereotypical salesperson. Well, it's certainly true. And, you know, I, I started, uh, by the way, congratulations on sales truth. That is, I mean, I'm thoroughly enjoying the book and I think that, uh, I mean, you just, you're, it's, it's classic Mike. You say it like it is. I think our listeners, if you haven't got a copy of sales truth yet, you got to go get it. It just came out this week, but it's that level of, I think it's that level of authenticity and genuine care about making the client successful and helping them win that drives the hard work that is really the spirit behind the fundamentals of, of getting sales done. I'm totally with you. And, and let me say a, a giant thank you for the kind words about the book. You know, it's, it's a little overwhelming when you pour everything you have into a book. And that's why Larry's endorsement meant so much because he really laid it out there, Larry. I mean, it was one of the most, and I'm not trying to be funny or have a pun here, but it was truly a heartfelt endorsement where you said, I, I poured my heart into every page and I really did. And, and, you know, I'm, I am authentic in my writing and people tell me that, you know, I write like I speak and they can hear my voice when they read what I'm saying. And I, I get that, but I was legitimately pissed off and concerned for salespeople. And my motivation to write that was because when I read online, particularly on LinkedIn, about what it takes to succeed in sales today and what salespeople need to do to win, when I compare what I'm reading from the air quotes, you know, nouveau experts, right. with what I see uh, with my own eyes when I'm in real companies, watching what top producing salespeople actually do, there's this giant chasm between what I read from the experts that people should be doing versus what actually I see top producers doing. So I was authentically angry, righteously angry mm -hmm. at the charlatans in our business that preach a lot of nonsense. And I felt like because of the platform I had and the success of my other books, I was in a place where it was okay to take a risk and just call it like I see it. And that's what I did. And we'll, I'm sure we'll get into some details there, but I, my anger there was driven by my authentic love for salespeople and the profession and wanting to protect salespeople from the nonsense and garbage that passes for sales advice, particularly in LinkedIn articles today. 
And that's what motivated me, motivated me to write that. You know, and, and I applaud you for it because I mean, Daryl knows me real well. Mike, you know me well is I always spoke my mind and maybe it's because I grew up in Los Angeles my whole life. And that's just the way I was is, you know, I remember a long time ago, I, had a, I hired a business coach, Mike, and he really taught me. He says, hey, you know what? He goes, you just got to talk to people like they're your friends. But more importantly, when you're at that executive level, you just got to tell it like it is in a professional way because they will appreciate it. And what's really interesting, and I'm starting to see this, is has social played a part in my life? Absolutely. It's played a part in yours, Mike. It's played a part in Daryl's. And I don't think we're discrediting it. But what I found in the short time that I've been doing what I'm doing is that Social's shining a big, huge spotlight on what we can do better in the sales profession. And it's all around, you know, the things that you talk about, Mike, it's the things that Daryl and I always speak about is sales reps are struggling to articulate value. They're struggling to drive great business conversations with high levels of business acumen. Um, They have poor communication skills, all these things that are at the root fundamental level that we should be doing. But Unfortunately, a lot of that's getting pushed off to the side because everybody's talking about digital and social and so forth. And, and, you know, I just want to set the record straight. There's nobody on this podcast that's saying social is not important. What we're saying is we just have to use it in conjunction with everything else. And there's too many pot calling the kettle black. And, I'm, you know, that's the stuff that just just grates at me. I'm with you. I, I you know, I have no agenda. And neither I, do I. I. This is going to sound weird because we're on here to talk about my book, right? And the book launch. I don't have an agenda. I don't have a process. I don't have a preferred methodology. I want salespeople to win more new sales and I want them to use every appropriate ethical and effective means necessary. You know, our friend Jeb Blunt talks about smoke signals. So do whatever you got to do. Yeah. Knock on doors, go to trade shows, pick up the phone, tweet, blog, do it all. I'm, I'm, for, I'm for all of it. And, and there's a lot of honest people in the social selling world who would say the same thing. They're good people and they care. They just, they have a, a different perspective and, and they want to share some of these newer methodologies and they've gotten good at it. And I, I love that. I got no problem with it. And I, I would be a hypocrite if I said, don't use social media. I have a whole platform based on social media. I get clients from, from putting out intellectual property and, and, and tweeting. I get all that, but it's, there's a loud handful of, uh, of people who, who preach that, only the new stuff works mm-hmm. and that everything in sales has changed and that nothing that used to work still works. And then they not only uh, tell you that you're going to fail if you use traditional methods, then they go even further and ridicule, ridicule you and make fun of you. Like you're from the dark ages, you know, what, what are you a dinosaur? I mean, literally I have, I have <laughs> screenshots of blog posts from some people uh, who actually have said that when I started the, the argument saying, wait a second, wait, don't, don't be saying it doesn't work. I actually have clients sophisticated clients in defense and software as a service and big data, right. And distribution where they, I can show you they're winning deals by creating their own opportunities by picking up the phone and calling a strategically targeted prospect, beginning the dialogue right there, asking for a meeting. That's traditional prospecting. Don't tell me it's dead because I can walk into companies and show you where it's, it's alive and well and working. Yeah. Right? That's, and that's what gets my ire up. Right. Is that fair? No, no, it is. And, and, and one quick comment on that, but I, cause I, I really want to hit on some sales truth stuff, but I'll, I'll go back to outbound. Cause this actually happened at outbound and Mike, I've never even shared this with you, but it was after my first session at outbound, I had a bunch of, I'll call them kids, right? 
because they were in their twenties and I, and I only, I had to ask them, right. Cause they came up to me, we started talking afterwards and they go, you know, we really appreciate how you laid out social, but what was, re- what was really interesting that they keyed in on is the stuff that they really need to work on. And the stuff that they admitted they need to work on was the value proposition, was the great storytelling, was business conversations, you know, business acumen. Those are the things that our younger generation is struggling with as you know, they start working on their careers. It's not the social aspects. It's how do you, how do you do all the fundamental stuff that we all grew up with? And how do you smash that all together with social and well, with that's technology? Good. That's good. And honestly, and I can say this about you because I've been watching you for the last few years. That's why your platform has grown. And that's why the, the selling from the heart message has resonated. And that's why someone asked you to go to Greece because you are really good at combining all those pieces the fundamentals and stuff that's always worked from a very old industry that you came out of yeah, to blending in. I mean, there's no one more omnipresent online than Larry Levine. It freaks me out that anytime (laughs) I say anything online, Larry is within milliseconds praising remote, re-promoting, retweeting, commenting. I mean, Larry, you're everywhere. So you're using all means necessary, but yet you're also happy to get in front of a bunch of old guys who are cynical and go, Hey, listen, we can still sharpen your skills on the basics. You need better business acumen. You still need to sharpen your phone skills. You still got to ask great probing questions, right? You still got to run a real sales call. And by the way, we can help you out with your branding and online and softening up the beachhead by, by doing social and building your brand. And honestly, but that's why your book is so popular and why this message that you're preaching works. And it's why I think we connect so well, because there's only so much sales truth under the sun. Let's, let's be really honest. Not that much has changed. And right. most of what we teach is just repurposed sales truth that's been around forever. Right. It's not it's it, and that's what makes me nuts is when people go, no, no, no. Everything has changed. And what used to work doesn't work. I'm like, that's a lie. That's a lie being perpetrated by someone who has an agenda who's right. trying to sell you something. And that's why I've learned it's very hard to get into an argument with some of these nouveau experts online. First of all, they have way too much time on their hands because they're in their basement or maybe their mother's basement blogging all day. They don't have clients. So you never want to get an online pissing contest in the comment section with some social selling expert because they got plenty of time on their hands. Right. But the second I'll stop there, I'll I'll, I'll circle back to no, no, but, 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 but here's a point. And this is a point that I always use all the time. And I love using analogies and I know Mike, you're a baseball junkie, just like I am. And I could talk baseball all day long. And if we look at it, if, you know, baseball has been around a hundred years, a hundred years plus. And if we look at the core fundamentals of baseball, it still hasn't changed. There's still nine people on a field. They still, you know, it, it's still the same rules, you know, for, for, for the purpose of this conversation and in this simplest format, baseball hasn't changed in terms of the core fundamentals of baseball. Yeah. Stats and all that has changed and analytics is getting brought into the game and people are faster, bigger, stronger, and they, and they throw the ball harder. You don't see people going, God, baseball, baseball so much different than it was. 20 years ago, the players are different, but the fundamental aspect of the Mm -hmm. game hasn't changed. And I think that's what we're really trying to get at here is the core fundamental aspects of sales, at least in my opinion, hasn't changed the tools and how we go about opening and engaging with conversations, building relationships, enhancing all that has changed. But if you stink at using all the outbound methods of prospecting, if you're really struggling with all that, social is going to shine a big, massive spotlight on it. And, and, and I mean, 
I see it. I see it all the I time. Know. I know. You can look yeah, really dumb to a lot more people really fast. <laughs> you will. But I think if you look at the, you know, the, the guys that are hiding behind their keyboard in their mom's basement, um, it, the, they're trying to say the rules have changed. They're trying to say that the rules of baseball are different today than they were um, in, you know, in a hundred years ago or 20 years ago. And, and I think they're coming to the, 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 the table plan saying that, that this is a different game. And I think they're wrong. Um, and, and I think Mike, you think they're wrong as well. I'm just, I mean, isn't that the core of it that, that these guys, you know, are, are saying that the rules of the game have changed in some yeah, and, and well, and I get, you know, they have changed a little bit and let's, let's just stick with baseball for a minute. You know, uh, I, I tweeted something last week, the Chicago Cubs in the late in the game, put four people on one side of the infield playing the Cardinals, not three, the normal shift. They, right. they put four. And, and the, the way, I was like, this makes no sense. And, and the, the batter fortunately hit the ball the other way and the Cardinals won the game. Um, so I would say that some of the power has shifted in selling, right? And, and the buyers have a lot more information accessible to them than they used to. They used to need salespeople for mm-hmm. information. And that's not the case today. And we have a lot more data. And, you know, the, the, the most overused statistic in sales the last seven years has been CEB's study and right. that, that famous 57% quote, which I never really believed that the buyer went 57% through their buying process before engaging with the salesperson. And, and I understand that the study was valid and that's what they discovered. Right. It didn't work for me because in my real clients where I work, buyers were not allowed to get 57% through because my salespeople were contacting them before they were shopping. You know, that statistic only works in certain ways. But what happened in the industry was that data came out, kind of like the data on launch angle and all this other nonsense in in baseball. Right. Backed with some of these people's swings, which is why everyone's striking out so often. Well, the shift that took place in sales with the 57% was, well, don't bother prospecting and don't initiate contact with these people because they're not going to talk to you anyway early in their process. You need to wait. Right. And when they get exactly 57% through the process, like, they'll contact you. Right. right. As if, you know, and I, I tell the story in the book, you know, as if you can imagine any manager or executive or purchasing person who has this formalized buying process and there's this firewall with a big red line that says, yeah. when you reach 57%, you then have permission to go contact sales. SQL, go. Value <laughs> right? It's ludicrous. Like yeah. no one has a formal buying process like that. And no one will be prevented from talking from a salesperson. I mean, it, it's right. so stupid the way the data the right. data gets misapplied. Well, well, I think there's a difference. And, and this is, I think this is where people miss it. I mean, there's two type, and I'll wax philosophical for 30 seconds. There's two types of demand. Um, there's felt, felt need where someone actually knows they have a problem and they go, you know, that's a small percent of the marketplace. There's a felt need and is going out trying to find a solution. And, uh, you know, full disclosure, I'm a partner in an inbound marketing company. So I'm, I'm, I'm the nerd on the call. I know about all that stuff. Well, you're just a nerd completely. So you didn't have to justify. You're just a nerd. Well, thanks, Larry. But uh, I wear it with pride. But, but, you know, the vast majority of the market has latent need. They're not looking for what you have to sell. Even though they need it, they're not thinking about it. And the responsibility of sales reps I don't care if it's, it's 1920, 1970, or 2019, the responsibility of sales professionals has been to go out and turn that latent need into felt need and bring it to the surface and, and thus prospecting, you know, so, you know, the people in the basement, I think what they fail to realize is yes, there are people that are online looking for 
um, solutions to problems that, that, are, that they, they recognize. But that's just a tiny percent of the market. The rest of the market has got to be interrupted, has got yeah. to be interrupted with value. That's so brilliant. I mean, I love everything you said. And I love inbound marketing. I love the idea. Yeah. But what is it? It's inbound marketing. It's, it's, it's a supplement to selling and it's great. And here's the problem. And I, 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 in the book, I quote an international, a self-proclaimed, let me get this right. A self-proclaimed <laughs> number one international best-selling author from another country far away. Okay. And, and this guy has a four reviews for his book on Amazon Four. well, that's good. That's yeah, and his book is ranked like number 300,000 in his own small country. Um, so I'm not quite sure he was a number one international bestselling author or that book was either. But he, he put up this, at one point. I, I'm sure. I well. don't even know about that. I, and he had this party <laughs> and they called, it, called it a truth bomb. And there was a yeah. lot of uh, overstated nonsense right. about prospecting. You probably just read that in chapter two. Was, and, then he, and then he throws in for good measure, he quotes Seth Godin who's a legend, right? And who's brilliant. And he says- How can you refute Seth Godin? How can you it's refute like, Seth Godin? It's Seth like Godin playing says, the trump card, right? right? It's a lot easier <laughs> selling to people that are approaching you than trying to interrupt strangers, you know, and et cetera. Yeah. And I'm like, of course, who doesn't want a tribe? Who doesn't want loyal followers? And of course. And I'm all for that. Yes. But, but, but the problem is, what do you tell the typical salesperson who doesn't have enough inbound leads, whose social right. selling efforts, whose company's inbound marketing engine- and white paper and content marketing and pay-per-click and everything else they're doing to try to get leads. When that doesn't produce enough opportunities for the salesperson to work, what is he or she supposed to do? Sit on their ass? Right. Tweet more? Blog more? <laughs> Hang on, on LinkedIn? No. Right, Larry? Like, no, so that, but, but, okay, so here, no, and, and you're spot on. Now I'm all fired up. I've had conversations with Mark Hunter about this. And even when he came on the podcast, is I grew up in an extremely laggard backwards sales channel. Mm -hmm. a, a little prehistoric. It provided well for me. I did great in it and I had a great career in it. So, you know, Daryl spent some time in it as well. And what was really interesting is I had to put food on my own table. You know, back then, you know, we had no SDRs and BDRs, no inbound leads and things like that. It, it was what we had to do to generate our own ability to go out there and prospect. And then along came this word called telemarketer. And we had some telemarketing leads and things like that, which I just used as gravy. But I, I you know, I, I think the core of this whole thing is, and where, where I really want to take this is there's a small portion of the sales world out, out there that these people are speaking to. If you take the average salesperson in the average company in the average part of the United States, they have none of this. So what are we doing to educate those people? What are we doing to help their lives when they don't have inbound? They don't have all this. It's, you know, feet to the ground and phone to the ear. And, you know, they might be in a sales vertical that, that doesn't, that has no social, right? And I'll give you a classic one because I know you spend some time in at Weinberg is my father-in-law was a truck driver and worked for trucking companies his whole life, Right. He just now figured out how to use a smartphone within the last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but guys, but he did I, real well. I got, I got to amp this up though, because I don't care. Even if you do work for a, a company that has an inbound engine that's, you know, pinging your phone, your email off, you know, off the charts on inbound leads, that's still just a small segment of your opportunity to make money. That the, the, the felt need is still a small percentage of the market. 
the latent need, uh, that stuff that's below the surface that you can go uncover and build from the ground up yourself is huge. And those deals, I would argue, are probably going to be better deals for you because you're involved from the beginning, you're defining them. So I would say even if you've got, you know, a, a rocking inbound engine, you know, even if you're working with a, a great inbound partner, even if you've got a telemarketing team and, and you've got every acronym in the, in the book, it really doesn't matter. You still are foolish if you don't prospect and generate your own relationships and turn latent need to felt need. No, because I, I mean, I, I go back to some of my best conversations I ever had were the ones where they weren't looking. Of course. Oh, of course. you guys are brilliant. Because the guards are down. Yes. Everyone's guards down. No one's going, this guy's going to throw sales crap at me and I'm, I'm going to be asked the questions and so forth. Right. And this, this is my challenge to the sales world out there. And I ask this all the time is when's the last time you've had a conversation that didn't involve trying to sell them something? And that Ooh. stumps the hell out of salespeople because they'll only talk to somebody when they're in that mode of buying. Yeah. Let me, let me, I have so many thoughts based on the brilliance you guys are just throwing out there. I, I'm sitting here just enjoying the coaching that you're giving everybody. I, I let, let's, let me tackle two things. Let's talk about, about creating opportunities versus chasing opportunities. I mean, you both said it in different ways, Daryl. Yes. I, I'm with you a hundred percent. Part of, part of the, the challenge I see in my clients is because people sit on their ass and they live in reactive mode and they overserve their favorite customers and they play delivery boy and they wait until someone summons them, right? Or there's an opportunity that emerges that everyone and their mother knows about. And then you're in line, like right. last in line off and behind your more proactive competitor. So by the time you get to an opportunity, the prospect is down the path, right? They're shopping. Someone is defining their, their buying criteria, potentially your competitor who's laying, laying landmines for you and guiding. So it's much harder when you are chasing to dictate process and to come across as a consultant and bring value because someone else was there before you or they were doing it on their own shaping. So it's such an advantage to create versus chase. And that's why I have those five or six chapters right in the middle of the book that says, if you want to be a top sales producer, you have got to learn how to create your own opportunities. You cannot live as a victim of inbound marketing or social or, or leads that are being fed to you or customers in your territory that raise their hand and go, Hey, help me. Because if you live in that mode, you're never going to fill the funnel the right way. And then the second thing I want to say, and then you guys can jump back in, so I'm sure I'd give you some things to, to, to leap from. You were talking about, Larry, most of the country, 90% of the sales teams. Let me just put a double amen, like mega dittos on what you just said. Yes. A lot of the elites in the sales improvement industry are on the coast. They're in Silicon Valley. They're in Boston. And their clients are tech companies, right? And, and you got the whole predictable revenue thing and you've got the whole SDR movement and, and you got wonderful people like Trish Bertuzzi, who I have nothing but applause and respect for and what they do. And her book, The Sales Development Playbook, I think is just classic and one of the best written books I've ever read. It's all great. The reality is 95% of the companies don't have SDRs That's and right. not everybody is selling technology. In fact, it's a very small percent of the world. But most of the articles written on LinkedIn are by people in that space. So it gets messy because everybody wants to model what Salesforce.com is doing or whatever the latest unicorn startup in the Valley is. And, you know, it all sounds great. But my clients, and I have them in a very eclectic mix of industries from defense, mm -hmm. selling to the government and other friendly governments, 
to big data, to industrial supply. Guys that sell 3M abrasives for a distributorship or guys that sell heavy equipment out of a dealership, mm-hmm. right? Or just printing companies or even consulting firms. I mean, I could, I could take you through my crazy list, list, of, list of clients and what's written by the elites online under this crazy model where you have someone f- supposedly feeding you appointments, that doesn't work in the world. Right. If when you got a guy selling John Deere construction equipment, he doesn't have an SDR calling a fleet manager at some contractor, you know, to set up an appointment so he could sell a $600,000 earth mover to them. Like if that's not, that's not that sales model. Yeah. And I, I love the new stuff, but what happens is everyone drinks all the Kool-Aid because, well, if the cool people on the coast are doing it, it must be right. And, you know, and I, I'm not, I'm not going political here and that's a whole other chapter in the book. Right. But we just need to be careful that because one, one, group of elite experts is saying this is true about sales. It doesn't mean it's true for everybody. Mm. And, and there's a lot of arrogance that comes out of those places. And even the international best-selling author, the, the faux best-selling author I was talking about, you know, he, he's in that same camp where they're talking to a different kind of person. Mm. Um, because I will tell you that the average fleet manager at yeah. a truck, uh, a trucking company, um, or the guy who runs the maintenance department in a large, uh, uh, facility that does industrial manufacturing, that guy is not often on LinkedIn looking for tips and thought leadership in that arena. And, and I think it's a fallacy to think that if we put out enough content, that, that was one of the uh, arguments I also beat up in the book. Like the people in our industry that keep saying, Oh, if you don't put out content, you, you can't be a credible salesperson. I mean, I've, I've read articles from people that said every salesperson should be writing blog posts and putting out their own IP. Well, aside from the fact that's the stupidest thing I ever heard, because most salespeople don't write that well, and that's not an insult, that's just reality. To a lot of industries we serve, there are regulatory issues and and legal liability problems for salespeople putting out content that doesn't work in a lot of industries, right? That, that's, that's a foolish thing. And there's people that say, no, you should be making videos and writing blog posts instead of picking up the phone and calling a prospect saying, hey, I'm bringing a lot of value to people that look like you. Here's some outcomes we're creating. Can we get together for 20 minutes? Yeah. They're telling you that's stupid. That's old. That doesn't work. But if you write good articles, they'll come to you when they're ready. All right. I'll, I'll breathe here. And no, you- but, but, but here's what's interesting. And, you know, just imagine if, you know, a, a salesperson just leverages just tradit, right? Phone. I'm, I'm just going to say phone, email, right? Face to face. Just use all that. And, and they do capture it. They do happen to capture an executive's attention. And then that executive goes, wow, you know, I'm pretty impressed. I wish my salespeople would do the same thing, hmm. right? Now yeah. think about that. And I'm keeping it simple for, for this sake, but th- there's a lot of people. And we were even talking when, when Meredith Elliott Powell was on the podcast, you know, recently, is there's so much noise out there, Mike, that it's confusing salespeople like crazy to the point where I think they just shut their brains down a little bit. And they go, you know what? I don't even know what's right and what's wrong. So they just paralyze their mind because there's so much noise going out there. No, do this. No, do this. No, you got to combine this with this. No, you have to do this that, you know, on when on Monday you do this on Wednesday, you do this, combine it all together. And then they just go. It's crazy. I, I did a, I did an interview for the book yesterday. And I told the audience, I said, I have a request for you and it's going to sound crazy because I'm supposedly a sales expert. I said, I want you to stop listening to the experts. I just want you to stop it. Just get the heck off of Lincoln and stop looking for the shortcut and the hack and the new thing and the answer. You don't need it. And it's really weird to say that in the middle of launching a book, right? Like I'm like, 
don't read it. <laughs> just go do the basics. Like I could summarize the book for you. Like you need right. to master the fundamentals, right? Yes. I've got a chapter in the book highlights two of the most highly productive salespeople in the world. Both of these guys are number one in their very different industries in the United States. And the reason I put that chapter in the book is I want to strangely encourage the sales population that there is no secret sauce and these two top producers are not freaks of nature and they, and they don't have any sales hacks or shortcuts. They work their freaking asses off. Yeah. And they're driven and they know their business and they know their customers and they know their competitors and they practice and they prepare and they own the outcome. Like if, if anyone hears anything from me, hear that there are no tricks. So I mean it in half-heartedly stop listening to us and get to work because there's <laughs> yeah. not that much new under the sun and you would do better if you would focus and get the hell off of LinkedIn because half the stuff you're reading there is stupid nonsense anyway. Yeah, oh, I love it. Well, that's a, that is a great place to, to end and a great place to begin is actually to go get a copy of sales truth. You're going to really, but Hey, but Hey, but before we wrap up though, I've been dying to ask Weinberg this question though. You ready? Yes, sir. I'm ready. I'm scared. Lay it on. It's all good. It's all good. I really want to know, because I've been asked this as well. That's why I want to ask you is what was your favorite chapter in sales truth? Out of all the chapters, what's your favorite chapter in sales truth? The one that you enjoyed writing the most that you actually, you lit up and wrote about, and then I'll, I'll share mine as well. Okay. I'm not sure I have a one. I think I have four. Um, <laughs> hey, boy, I, I didn't say four, Weinberg. I said I know. my favorite chapter. Oh, I'll, I'll let you vote. I'm going to give you my four favorites, all right? Um, chapter two came out much better than I expected where I'm railing on the, all the bandwagon jumpers in our industry, and I tell stories using their own words about the social selling charlatans. I, I really think that's convicting because no one, there's nothing to say. I use their own words and go, do you think a Kylie Jenner? Is Kylie Jenner taking half-naked selfies of herself really the model for business-to-business social selling? Because that's what the digital sales transformation experts are preaching, right? I have their articles. Uh, I have the screenshot in case anyone ever wants to deny that they actually said that. Um, So I love that chapter. I I love the chapter on the presidential election, those lessons. Took a big risk, but I didn't go political. I went right down the middle. There were just really interesting sales lessons Hmm. for why Trump won and why Hillary lost. And and I, I voted for myself. I have no political agenda, but I think there's lessons there. Um, the, the chapter that I love reading is the one um, about owning your sales process and telling procurement people to pound sand. I'm not going to play your game. I'm going to get really <laughs> close with the business people in your company. I'm going to bring tremendous value and I'm going to drive process, not let these procurement weenies tell me how to do my job as a seller. Bam. But I really think my favorite chapter is the last, is the one I already brought up. It's those two high producers, one guy sells cars and the other guy sells yeah. financial services for nice. like the biggest financial company in America. And he's number one in the country. And the car guy I highlight is number one in the country. Well, because it, I just think it's strangely encouraging that they're unbelievable at what they do. And when I show you what I observed, and I know these people both really well, and they're not my clients, so I take no credit for their success. Like I'm just profiling what they do. Mm-hmm. You're going to read that and go, hmm, I could do a lot of what they do. I bet I could really do better. And that, that's what I think if there's a takeaway, I want people to go, Oh my gosh, I got to stop listening to these morons telling me I need this new process and I got to go master the fundamentals. And look, Weinberg has all these stories of normal people that have been tremendously successful. So that's, I'm sorry. I totally botched that answer, but I, I, I'm having a hard time picking. I like it. Larry, Larry, <laughs> over to you, Larry. 
Larry's coughing. He's, he's, <laughs> this is great. He's on mute. He's, he's oh, you ch- hey, Weinberg, you choked me up on that one. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. What was interesting? Cause I've, I've actually read the book three times. Cause really? I was, I was I'm so sorry. I was, well, the first time I read it and Mike knows this, I'm sitting here reading it. And after every chapter, I'm going, I just got done with chapter one. Brilliant. Right. Hey, Mike, I'm at chapter four already. And it would be like at eight o'clock at night, my time, which is, you know, a couple hours behind Mike. But what I really appreciate about the book is how you set it up. But the meat of the book is in the way you drove those stories. And, and, and I think, you know, people relate to stories and Daryl and I talk about this all the time. Stories sell and salespeople love hearing stories of things that actually are out there working through a practitioner's eyes. And I know, you know, what I do love about you and respect about you, Mike, is you're a practitioner. I'm a practitioner. Daryl's a practitioner. And I think that's what the profession needs to hear is they need to hear it through a practitioner's eyes. And that's what I appreciate about sales truth is, you know, you wrote that book through a practitioner's eyes and the stories you tell are through practitioner's eyes. Mm. Thanks, man. So what's your favorite chapter? Since I didn't answer it, I thought maybe you would. <laughs> I, I mean, actually, I'm, I'm partial to the first two chapters just because, quite frankly, I laughed my ass off reading the first two chapters of the book. Because, I mean, I get it, right? Only because you and I have had some offline conversations. So, yeah. I, well, Here's what's sad. And Daryl, here's what's sad about that, especially chapter two. I didn't write that to be mean-spirited. I, I wrote that because these people are saying this nonsense. I wanted to amplify it and go, are these the people you're really going to listen to when it comes to turning around your sales team? If you're really in trouble, right? Like a lot of times I get called in, it's not pretty. 10% I get called in by some company that's crushing it. 90% it's like, hey, we need some help. We read your stuff and our pipeline ain't full and our results aren't going the right way. And I'm not sure we got the right salespeople in the right roles. And like, we need business, right? So are you going to take the advice of the people telling you that Kylie Jenner is your own model for sales? <laughs> like, I mean, it, because that's what they're holding themselves out as. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the yeah. guy online falsely quoting Seth Godin and, and other examples like that. I mean, I don't think that's helpful. So Mm-mm. I'm sorry that I had to write that chapter, but it's, it wrote itself. You know what I'm saying? And I could go, I could go on further. I mean, I could, I could talk about the self-declared creator of social selling. That's what he calls himself. I don't know the person. I'm sure he's a wonderful human being, but that guy has been out of work four times in the last five years. <laughs> he's regularly online asking people to help him get a job. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. <laughs> You're the creator of social selling this panacea that's going to fix every sales problem. And you can't even keep a job, let alone run your own business and help clients. How, how is that possibly the answer for everybody's sales problem? Is that, is that, well, am I being no. mean or am I just reflecting reality? I don't know. Uh, I, mean, no, no, I mean, dude, you're spot on. That's what, that's why chapter 10 of my book, it just kind of nails what you just said. And I'll just leave it as empty suits. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, and honestly, I'm, I'm not this. I, I mean this, like I love salespeople. My anger here really isn't at the methodology. It's at the people that preach the nonsense because there's good methods in that medium. Yep. There, there are really good people in the social selling world and I'm, I'm a yes, fan yeah. of it. But when you take it to that level and you declare it that it's the answer and that we're stupid for picking up the phone, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you're hurting people because you know who believes that? It's the gullible, yep. 
salesperson who's struggling, who's desperate for help. And then they read that and they go, oh, see, I didn't need to pick up the phone anyway. That doesn't right. work. Yeah. Let me go perfect my LinkedIn profile for the ninth time this month. I bet I could tweak this summary <laughs> one more time and then I'm going to get more business. And I'm like, please stop it. Oh. Please. Oh my gosh. Well, Mike, on behalf of Selling from the Heart, thank you for telling the truth. I mean, I really thank you for your, your it, thanks for standing up and representing all of us in this. I mean, I, I think... What you've done here is monumental. Um, I Once again, if you haven't got this book, it's probably because it just came out this week. So go get it. Sales Truth by Mike Weinberg. You're really going to enjoy it. Mike, I, I, love, uh, I love your heart behind this. And I love your heart for sales professionals. And, and uh, we're just so proud uh, of what you're doing. Really are. Thank you so much. That's humbling, man. I, I, I have a ton of respect for you guys. I love what you're doing as well. So thanks for the opportunity to share a little bit of truth and I appreciate the support and love your podcast. Oh, well, we're glad you're here. Thanks for our sponsor. Send out cards, cards.sellingfromtheheart.net. Till next week, keep being genuine, keep being authentic, keep delivering real value, create opportunity, don't chase it. And most of all, sell from the heart.